All right, so this is Alexander Weiger's Continued. Um, I kind of looked him up and did a deep dive into his information and put a little timeline in um, biography together. There's a couple of resources online that I was able to use for this, and I will note them as long as I can remember. Uh, so let's start back to 1901 in Indonesia. That's where he was born. Um, and the only thing I could really find on his family was with his father, where they took a lot of crazy trips to things like uh, tropical jungles and even the mountains of Java. Um, he was sent to go to school in Europe in Holland, uh, where he attended um, the Groningen <laughs> College, uh, where he got his degree in uh, mechanical engineering, and he also went to Daudrick, uh School, where he went for shipbuilding. Um, the first school I mentioned in Holland, I'm going to try not to say the name as much as possible, because it's hard, um, was actually a really big school. And um, a lot of big alumni have come out of there, including the first um, Dutch space traveler, uh, which is pretty cool. And other notables are people who specialized in human genetics, uh, past president of the Europe Central Bank, um, Jim Ort, an astronomer uh, who had significant contributions to our understanding of the Milky Way. And they also now, I think, um, have an alumni who specializes in neuroscience. Um, that school kind of does a lot with uh, social issues in um, science. So it's just pretty interesting how they combine those two. Um, but that's what it is now. I'm not sure if that's how it was then, although a lot of the uh, uh, notables now are older in age and have done some pretty amazing things. Um, so anyways, um, he finished school and came back to, or came to America. I believe it was the um, something valley it was called in San Diego. Uh, or that could have been later. But basically, 1927 um, is when he first came up with that drawing, the which was a saucer before there were flying saucers. And at the time, he did work for Northrop Aviation. Um, and he actually, I was writing my first podcast when I said he developed it as a successor to the helicopter. Because uh, I guess prototypes of the helicopter then were not doing so hot and they were crashing a lot. Um, so he was trying to um, almost do a new version of the helicopter that would be more safe and stable. I mean, he obviously had the expertise to do it. He was known as a Renaissance man. Uh, he was an artist, um, mechanical engineer, teacher. Um, he's known as one of the fathers of blacksmithing. Um, he... <laughs> He even made his house is kind of famous, I guess. He made his house completely out of recycled material. Um, and that was obviously way before, you know, people doing that sort of stuff was even uh, common knowledge. So this guy is definitely well-versed in a lot of different trades, uh, for sure. All his, and he went to college for all those different trades and schooling, too. So that's just amazing. 
Um, but anyways, it seems like a tragedy, unfortunately, sparked a lot of this guy's creativity. Um, in 1931, well, apparently 28 to 31, I seen one article that said he was 30 years old, which would make it 1931 when his, this tragedy happened. I seen another article, it was 1928. Either way, the tragedy was his wife died while giving birth with a with child. Um, so when that happened, um, he kind of went more towards the art world versus the mechanical world. He picked up an apprenticeship at Chicago Art Institute, um, for this Lorad Taft. I don't know who that is. Um, but then he went back to Europe for ver various schooling, and that's where he did wood engraving, uh, stone carving, even studied human anatomy. Um, and basically he went, wound up going back to Berkeley and that's, you know, kind of around the time he first made the drawing, which was, uh, you know, the timelines back then are going to be give or take between a few years. I can tell some things are not exactly accurate with the dating, but so if I'm mixed up, it's just because I'm looking at different things that say the same thing for different years. Um, so yeah, his wife died, he went into the art world and all that kind of stuff, and then right around when World War II started, he actually went into the war, um, and he was put into the, uh, intelligence, uh, group for the Army Corps of, um, because he knew, like, five or six different languages, I guess. Um, but he was not very happy about that, um, because he had to give up his life of, of art and sculpture and everything he was doing. Um... So that kind of put an end to the art stuff. So in 19, his early 40s, early 40s, World War I, um, his family back in Indonesia actually uh, were captured. And that was another tragedy for him, which kind of, um, I guess, kind of sparked him back to work on his original idea, the uh, discopter, um, and it's kind of kind of sad. He was trying to finish the idea and develop it as a way to kind of save families like his who were captured. Uh, so that's kind of sad. You know, there is, there's actually a lot to this guy. So much so it's kind of hard to keep up. He was obviously well-rounded, um, had some big jobs. And he developed this thing on the circular shape, I guess. I was kind of wondering why he he did that. And I guess he said it was so it would enclose a rotor roar, or rotors and that they'd rotate, forcing air through them, which makes it rise. So it was funny. It's kind of the opposite of a helicopter <laughs> was his idea. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of too bad, so... Hopefully, his family history went a little better afterwards. Uh, there are a couple sources I used for his information. Uh, one was just his name.com. Seems like one of his students uh, put that together. Um, I also used 
an interview, the only interview I could find with him, uh, which is, which was from a paper called The Signal in Santa Clara, California. So if you want to look up, up that stuff, you can. He lived through 1901 to 1989. I mean, the whole theme of this story and this person is uh, that he came up with and had drawings of a flying saucer before flying saucers were even a thing. Um, and in fact, it looks like his patent was only a couple of years before the Roswell thing. Um, so, pretty interesting there. There's more rabbit holes to go down as far as other craft that people were working on previously. But as, as far as we know it, the flying saucer as we know it, and what it's attached to um, in the image, it's clear that this guy had drawn this and come up with it before that was even popular. Which is pretty amazing. You gotta check out his stuff because at the very least it's it's really well done and beautiful. Uh, his, his work is great. Um, but I couldn't really find a reason that was too intriguing as far as why he did it. Um, I found one thing where it kind of connected it to his family being captured, but it doesn't really make, I mean, I get, okay, so that would was a reason for him to go back to the project. The original reason he came up with the project was because helicopters sucked. <laughs> and so his ideas was to do the reverse of what they do and push the aircraft up with the rotors versus... You know, I don't know. Or I think the helicopter just kind of tries to maintain. But, so that's interesting. It's not always what you think. Uh, flying saucers were not coined because of an actual flying saucer. Well, it was coined flying saucer because of uh, what happened in 1946 in Mount Rainer when the gentleman first saw one and reported back in the news so the news media is the reason flying the term flying saucer is even a thing, which is interesting because we know that there were prototypes or at least ideas um, like Alexander's that existed uh, before that and before Roswell. So just something to think about. And the guy said he got the idea not from that, but from his own previous work. Is there truth in it? If there is, it's probably a disappointment for people. Um, but there, that could just be one piece of a lot larger of a puzzle, which I'm pretty sure it is. But if I take these things down step by step from the beginning and give uh, pretty good details to each thing or category, as in this man, um, maybe dots can connect. Um, or maybe not. But if anything, I'm learning a lot about, about things in history, and I don't even care who it is or what I'm learning about. If I'm learning about it and it's interesting, I'm happy. Um, and this gentleman, Alexander, is definitely, definitely interesting. 
Um, and he's even got uh, his drawings up on uh, Amazon. You can buy it. He even says the patent right here. Granted 1944, issued 1945. Basic U.S. patent. The disc chapter. But I originally called it the disco chapter. So I think I'm going to stick with that because it's just better. But there's a little guy with a seat in the middle, just like Lazar describes. It's it's just pretty interesting to check it out. And China's working, well, I found this article. I have no idea if it's real, but they have pictures. <laughs> uh, China's working on something that looks exactly like this right now. Or last year the article was from. Um, and it was more for, I think it was like geographical like mapping for their fighter jets and stuff, which is interesting because I've heard those black triangles described as doing something like that. But <clears throat> um, that's about it for now. Yeah, I think, but in doing that, I read this interesting article of, you know, patent surges in the la in the 19th century or whatever. Um, and it's pretty interesting. The, there was the biggest... Three surges were 1953 through 56, 1965 through 71, and 2001 and 2004, which made me think of the, which made me, uh, the 2004 one stick out to me was because of the infamous Tic Tac episode, um, and I think that was 2004. So I was just looking around the patents and found some really interesting and weird things. <laughs> that are even weirder than this. Um, so there's a lot of patents in those years um, by a one John Quincy St. Clair who, I mean, I don't even know how to describe most of this stuff, but one of them is for a, a vortex wormhole. So if that gives you an idea... But other stuff is like uh, anti-gravity propulsion and all that sort of thing. So it was very interesting. And I can't tell if that stuff can be made or not because I can't read the language. But apparently it's pretty expensive to get these patents. So if uh, you make one, you're somewhat serious about it. Um, and I found some things online where people don't know this who this John Quincy is and he's a mystery man. Um, well, he's not that mysterious. It just took me about 10 minutes <laughs> of research to find out uh, who he really is, which I think is um, a guy named Luis Alberto Heck Rojas uh, from Bakersfield um, because his name's also attached to some of these patents as the owner. And it's kind of interesting because you go on a, a Facebook page for the uh, for the John Quincy St. Clair and in the information for contact or more information, you click on it and it goes to the patent where this name is on it, which I did not see beforehand anywhere or know of. Um, so I looked them up and <laughs> it just gets pretty weird because... Of all the uh, different things. And, well, anyways, this guy was arrested for 
apparently giving uh, false documents to certain people when he encountered um, Department of, of Special Agents. Oh, man, frick, I forgot what this is called now. It's part of the Department of State. So it's the State Department arrested this guy for some weird, like, uh, government documents, forging government documents. So I'm interested. There's got to be some sort of weird connection. Like, why do they care so much about this guy? And this guy happens to have so many patents so many of these newfound or talked about technologies. That seems kind of interesting to me. Um, I do kind of loosely see some things online more about this guy, but I'm going to wait till the next episode. I'll do some more research on the mystery of John Quincy St. Clair and who I really think it is, which is this... Uh, uh, Lewis guy. So, but for now, I hope you enjoyed the uh, little history on Alexander Weigers, if you weren't familiar before, and just how weird that is that uh, flying saucers existed uh, before we knew what they were, and they were made by us. Citizen Witness, a podcast about an everyday perspective from 